Hello. It's great when God speaks, isn't it? Thank you, Susan. And whoever you are, who that word was for. Take that to heart. Before I preach, I want to do two things. Firstly, I'd like to pray for peace in Jerusalem. So we'll do that first. Father, as your psalm says, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, when we look at the news, we can't see any good. We can only see suffering. And our prayers can often be inadequate. But Lord, you hear them. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be in that situation. Father, you can reach people who need you. You can reach those who don't know you. You can reach those who are suffering. You can reach those who cry out to you. And Father, we give you that. And we pray that you will move in that situation. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We do often pray for Jerusalem in the prayer meetings. And obviously we'll continue to do so this Tuesday. And I also want to say that this word I have... God gave me a while ago, before recent events. So please don't think I'm trying to preach some sort of political message today, because I'm not. Please don't try to look for any political comment, because I'm not trying to give any. I'm just trying to bring you God's word, that I believe he has something to say to us today. And in my own meagre attempt, I am going to share it and rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We're looking at Nehemiah. There's a book in the Bible called Nehemiah if you want to follow along. Many of you will have heard preachers on Nehemiah. Many of you will have studied this book. You're probably already listening to a preach in your head right now that you've already heard before on the topic. So a bit of background. The Jews, is, Jerusalem had been overtaken by the Babylonians the Jews had all gone off, a lot of them had gone off to by the Babylonians as hostages and off they were living in there. And then in the fullness of time, the Babylonian Empire was overtaken by the Persians. And we'll have the story of Esther and so on. And the, some of the Persian kings allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, which you'll have read about in the book of Ezra. Here you're good. But Nehemiah hadn't gone back. He was still in Persia working for a Persian king. He was a cupbearer. So he had to taste everything in case it was poisoned. And when he got news that, yes, the, the temple was built, but the walls, the defence of the city was in ruins, it really stirred him. And he prayed and fasted, and he went to the king and said, look, can I go back and get those walls rebuilt? And the king not only said yes, but he gave him letters of authority. He gave him permission. He gave him the materials he needed. And off went Nehemiah. So that's your background. You can read that for yourself. That's your homework. Read the book of Nehemiah. Because I'm just picking a few bits out of date. It's too big to do justice to. So he got to Jerusalem. By the time he got there, Ezra had been there about 13 years. But whilst the temple was rebuilt, nothing had been done about the walls. And Nehemiah knew 
that if there was gaps in the walls, they were open to attack. And that's kind of what my message is today. Because if there's gaps in our walls, spiritually, we can be open to attack. So we'll start in chapter 2. We'll read a few little bits of the story. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 11. This is Nehemiah speaking. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I hadn't told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no other mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And then verse 16, the officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I was doing. Because as yet, I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or anybody else who would be doing the work. But then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. And so they began the work. Wow, isn't that great? He told them what he wanted to happen and straight away, yeah, let's get on with it. Let's get the building done. But whenever God moves, whenever there's a move of God, the enemy is never really very happy. And straight away, in verse 19, you read that when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and ridiculed us. What are you doing? Are you trying to rebel against the king? Now, they were a couple of the peoples that got it, that had to um, take over when they came to the promised land, so naturally they didn't like the Jews. But Nehemiah's response to them is, in chapter 2, verse 20, the God of heaven will give us success. And so they started building. And Nehemiah must have been quite a good organiser, a bit of an engineer. He'd inspected where all the gaps were. So he put people in families who were living nearby. You build that bit. Roy, you build that bit next to your house. John, you build that bit next to your house. And it was a really good idea because it saved them travelling too far and it meant they were near the families because it's always important to look after your family too. And if you read through chapter 3, it lists the 42 different groups of people who were next to, next to, next to, next to, were building the wall. Ten gates, two and a half miles of wall. There's some ladies listed in there too. But Nehemiah in chapter 3, he starts with the sheep gate. And I'm not talking about all the gates today. That's another study. It's a really good one to do. But I can't do justice to talking about the walls without mentioning the sheep gate. Because that's the first one that Nehemiah lists. And that one, the priests, the high priest. In chapter 3, Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. None of the other doors were dedicated. This was a special gate. So Jerusalem wasn't just a circle. Now you're going to see how good I am at geography now. 
The walls weren't just like a little circle. They sort of started up in the north and went across and down a bit, almost to a bit of a point and up again at the other side. And the sheep gate was at the top of here. That's a fantastic illustration, isn't it? You've got it now in your head. But the sheep gate was right next to the temple. If you were going to the temple, that would be the gate you would use. And it was called the sheep gate because just outside of the city wall, that's where the pens were, where they kept the lambs and the sheep. Because remember, we're talking Old Testament here before Jesus. It's a shadow of the things to come. So if you wanted forgiveness for sin, you had to go to the temple, buy a lamb or a sheep if you didn't have your own, and then you'd take it through that sheep gate and it would be offered for your sin in the temple. Once that lamb had gone through the sheep gate, it never came out. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus would have come through that gate when he walked on earth. And I'm not just imagining that because it was the most obvious gate to use. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, it says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, is a pool called Bethesda. And that's where he healed a disabled man. So he did use the sheep gate. But the gate points to Jesus. Our sacrifice for sin. And how amazing is it that Jesus stood up amongst the people on one occasion and said... I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and he'll come in and out and find pasture. Those lambs never came out again. But when Jesus is your saviour, well, those sins are gone and you have eternal life. So they started to build... get me next note and everyone was involved well practically everyone so the gates were the sheep gate I'm telling you this for a reason the fish gate the old gate the valley gate the dung gate you can imagine what that one was for the fountain gate the water gate the horse gate the east gate and the inspection gate and then Nehemiah lists them all back in full circle back to the sheep gate because everything starts and finishes with Jesus and if it doesn't, we're absolutely wasting our time. So nearly everyone got involved. Now I've read that loads of times, but what really would that have been like? I'm not going to list the 42 people, but right towards the end of chapter 3, it just someone struck me. Verse 31 it says, Malkia, I've looked up the pronunciation, Malkia. Can I just call him Mal for short? Because I'm never going to get that right all the time. One of the goldsmiths, he made repairs to this bit. As far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate. As far as the room above the corner, between the room above the corner and the sheep gate. So he fixed the bit that linked back to the sheep gate. I wonder how that conversation went. We can't just read this and forget that these were people like us. So yes, Nehemiah has this vision to repair all the walls. He needs everyone to help. And along, 
I wonder if it was him who came to Mal or one of his officials and said, I've got a job for you. Oh, great. Because Mal, Malkia was a goldsmith. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure he didn't go to college to study how to be a goldsmith. He didn't do an online course. He didn't watch a series on telly, you know, called England's Greatest Goldsmiths. He'll have been taught that trade more slightly from his dad and his dad from his dad. And everything about Mal was a goldsmith. He could probably do anything with gold. He could make you a new bowl for the temple. He could do some beautiful inscriptions. Nehemiah, what, what do you want me to do? Do you want some jewellery for your wife? Actually, I want you to build that bit of the wall next to where you live. Me, a goldsmith, build a wall. Are these the hands of a labourer? Who knows? Are these the hands of a labourer? I'll pray that God will send somebody else. Could have gone like that, but I don't think it did. Because here we have Mal listed in the Bible all these hundreds of years later is building that wall. Now, some of the people who built the wall came from the outside to help. That's not a bad thing. And some of the people who built the bit over here, they were from Jericho. Now, if you know your Bible stories, you kind of reasonably expect that the people from Jericho would have some sort of foundation in wall building. Okay, it was a lot of years ago, but through the generations, by necessity, there was probably more of a higher proportion of them were pretty good at building walls. And I wonder what they thought when they saw that little goldsmith over there mixing a bit of water and getting a stone and putting it in the wall. What on earth is he doing that job for? What qualifications does he have to build that wall? He's a goldsmith. I could do a better job. Nehemiah should have just let me get on with the whole lot. But God appoints people. God appoints people. God puts people in places. And it's not for us to argue with God why he's done that. He sets people up in places. And you know, nobody said that Mal couldn't be a goldsmith anymore. He's listed as a goldsmith. That's what he was. That was still his ministry. That was still his passion. Nobody was looking to take that away from him. But at this time, there was a need for someone to put those stones back in the wall right where he was. A servant heart. He wasn't overlooked. God sees. You know, you might be asked to do something or doing something. And in your heart you think, I think God's got something else for me to be doing. I think God's calling me to be a prophet. Well, that's great. But God won't overlook what you're doing right now. 
with your servant heart. And he didn't overlook Mal because there's his name. Page 488 in my Bible, Mal the goldsmith building that wall. All these hundreds of years later, isn't that incredible? God never forgets. You might have a ministry, a gift, a passion, and you can still do that. God can still use you in that. Maybe you're thinking you've been overlooked. But your name's still listed. Now, as soon as I started building the wall, the enemy did not like that. Back comes Sanballat and the guys. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, what are these Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life? On and on and on. Don't be surprised when God's doing a work and the enemy gets interested. Because that will happen. Always get opposition when God moves. But the people ploughed on. And the wall got to half its height. Ooh, half. John's just took my glass of water. Half. Is that glass of water half full? Oh, sweetheart, you have it. You've got a cough. Was it half full? <laughs> Sorry. Was it half full or half empty? You know, you'll meet people who everything, no matter what you're talking about, it's half empty. You haven't got enough. That's what the enemy was like. You haven't got enough water in there. That's going to run out. You're going to end up thirsty. You're not going to manage. But there's other people who'd look at it and go, wow, isn't God good? You're halfway there. You're getting there. And give you a little encouragement. And there's other people still who go, wow, you've got a glass? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> but when they did criticise him, Nehemiah posted a card. In verse 9 it says, we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat of the enemy. We can't be complacent. When things are going well, we can't be complacent. The enemy is going to try and destroy, discourage, defeat, but he's not going to win. Hallelujah. And do you know that wall, 52 days it was built, two and a half miles by hand. There's potholes in Whitley Bay that haven't been. <laughs> but then, it's not just the enemy in the lands around. Then in verse 10 of chapter 4, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labourers is given out. There's so much rubble, we can't rebuild that wall. Everyone's getting too tired. Everyone can't do it. It's too much work. I wonder what Mal was doing. I'd like to think that our little Malkia was just putting another bit of mortar on and putting another brick in the wall. He's going to need a stepladder now, mind, isn't he? Putting another brick in the wall. And then... After the people in Judah came, then the enemies repeated it. Before you know it, before you see us, 
we'll be right in there and we'll kill a lot of you. How many times do you hear that when you're doing a work for God? You may as well give up. You're not going to do it. It's not going to succeed. And then, sadly, in verse 12, then the Jews, then the people of God, who lived right near them, who weren't building a wall, who were just living near them, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, that enemy's going to attack. They came not just once, not just twice. They came again and again and again. And maybe in somehow they thought they were doing good, but a word of encouragement does far more good than a critic. They aren't listed by name in the book. We're doomed, we're doomed, was their message. The glass was definitely half empty. Now we are not in. God's not going to be asking you today to go outside and find some stones on the beach and get some cement and start building a wall around this church. But he is asking you to join a spiritual battle. In Ephesians, Paul says this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evils in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, which it will, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. How we, you know, we will have tough times. We will have times. You know, I know Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, I'll be honest. You know, I, I got up the other day, and it's only because I'm in a position where I'm not working now that I can, but I've never did it before. I came to the early morning prayer meeting here, and I have to say truthfully in my heart, when I had to get up early and come here, I did think, oh, whose idea were these early morning prayer meetings? But when I sat and listened to godly people praying, I was blessed. How you get through the tough times, that's our defence. The shield of faith can extinguish those flaming arrows. And in 1 Corinthians it says, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour for the Lord is not in vain. What our little goldsmith did here was not in vain. He might not have been the best wall builder, but he built that wall. How did Nehemiah respond to all of this? The critics, the advisers, the enemy. Well, actually, he didn't. What he did do was, 
And chapter 4, verse 13, he stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places and posted them with families with swords and spears and bows. So he supported the people who were struggling a bit. That's what we need to do. Support the people who were struggling a bit. And after he looked things over, he stood up and he spoke to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Didn't speak the enemy. Didn't speak the critics. Didn't speak the people of Judah. He spoke to the people. And you know what he said? Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who was great and awesome. Well, remember the Lord, who was great and awesome. And if that's the word for us today, remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. And when the enemy heard that he knew their plan and God had frustrated it, then they all went back to the work. They didn't stop the wall building, they continued on. And then Nehemiah gave them something else. Verse 16. From that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with the spears, shields, bows and armour. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. Isn't God great? The very people who were mourning it couldn't be done, get a bit of extra help. And those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. That's not an easy thing to do, you know. I mean, I find it hard to preach with one hand, but <laughs> to work. And each of the builders had his sword at his side, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me, stayed with me. So our little Mal, he's working away on his wall, up and down his ladder. He's got his little tool here, just in his little tool belt, just in case. Because we can't be complacent. Now God's not asking you to go to some sort of hardware shop today and buy a sword or a knife or a gun. He's not asking you to carry a weapon. Absolutely not, just to be clear on that point. But he is asking you to get involved in a spiritual battle. We're all prayer warriors. Whether you're a person who prays for half an hour or just quietly in your heart. And what we're meant to have is the sword of the Spirit of God, of the Word of God. That's our weapon. That's our tool. Little Mal could have looked and thought, this is too big. I am not qualified. I am not going to do this. But he just got on with it, one day at a time. In Peter it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Do you know those David Attenborough films? I do like them because I love to see how wonderful the world is. But I hate those bits where there's like a little crowd of happy little wildebeests or deers and they're wandering along the plain and then one of them, one of them hangs back for some unknown reason, looking for a bit of grass or whatever. And then you just know that over here, there's a lion, quietly, you don't hear him quietly waiting. Reminds me of Hillary's preach about the desert. Cutting yourself off. Leave yourself open to attack. 
It's always that one on his own that gets the lion. Because when we're together, we can help to defend each other, can't we? Our God is great and awesome. Now, Nehemiah and his men were so focused. I love the Bible, how it's so accurate. And it gives you stuff that is so wonderful. Well, it is to me. Because there's a verse in it that says, Nehemiah says, I... It's uh, verse 23 in chapter 4. I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me, took off our clothes. Each one had a weapon, even when he went for water. And nope, they went to bed with a clothes on and they never had a shower for 52 days. <sighs> I'm not ready for that one yet. I'm not ready for that one yet. But you know, the guy who played the trumpet, he stayed with Nehemiah because Nehemiah knew there'd be times when somebody over there might be struggling and he needed to get the prayer out and people around them to support them. They didn't have phones and WhatsApps, which are great. That's great. We do, so we can get prayer requests out. They didn't have that. But you know, we still got a trumpet call to come together and pray for each other. And when you hear someone struggling... Not to go and stand behind them and go, mm -hmm. let's pray, let's encourage, let's get the wall built. The prayer meetings, now I'm going to mention the Tuesday prayer meetings, it's this week. If you can't make the Tuesday prayer meeting, there could be a number of genuine reasons. You've got stuff on, you've got commitments, you've got whatever, that's fine. Please don't go away and feel guilty. That's absolutely fine. Of course it is. But those who can, come and we'll pray for everyone. We uphold the ministry of the church. All those gaps we're upholding because we're in a spiritual battle and we need to be fighting for each other, not just ourselves. In Philippians it says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Our God is great and awesome. Philippians says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our God is great and awesome. Isaiah 54, no weapon forged against you will prevail. Our God is great and awesome. Jesus said, oh, with God all things are possible. He will build his kingdom here. Our God is great and awesome. In that lovely verse in 1 John, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That wall got rebuilt. It got finished. There's nothing that Jesus can't restore. That word Susan had for someone who may have come in here looking for something from God today. There's nothing in your life that God can't restore. There's no one here that God can't use to put a brick in that wall. There's nothing that bro that's broken that Jesus can't fix. There's no one that Jesus can't reach. Our God is great and awesome. And lastly, in Second Chronicles, it says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because the battle is not yours, but God's.
Amen. I think we've got one more song.